Hello everyone, welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudhaman. Joining me from Singapore, the penny has finally dropped. <laughs> it's Darren Burns. How are you, Darren? I'm good, Arun. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. And also joining us from Hong Kong, his fingers are pointing in five different directions. It's Toby Doman. Good morning. How are you both? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. You've been uh, you've been away from cricket. You've missed a lot. Toby. Yeah, a bit of a sabbatical, but yeah, I'm I'm raring to go and looking forward to today. Lots to chew on. Fired up. Well timed. Well, both of those quotes I just gave you are from, of course, the one and only Ravi Shastri, who is no longer India's coach, which is a real body blow. I feel for this podcast, but but we will survive. Um, we'll get to him later on. I think it's even better because then we've got his him on commentary again, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. But I feel like when he's on commentary, it's, you know, he, he has more license to sort of be crazy. Whereas when he's like actually coaching a national team, a certain amount of credibility has been expected of him. <laughs> uh, not expected. Doesn't always deliver. A lot to get through. My gosh, we get down on the last podcast, we talked about Pete Cricket. Uh, but it's obviously it's gone to another level, uh, not 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 necessarily uh, always always related to the to, to the actual game to actual matches, but just absolute tsunami of cricket news out there in terms of Yorkshire, in terms of Tim Payne. Obviously, we've got um, some some notable exits with A. B. de Villiers, Ravi Shastri. We've had a, a World Cup, and we have the Ashes coming up as well. So. Uh, a lot to discuss. Let's start with uh, with Yorkshire, I suppose, which has probably been the biggest cricket-related story of the last month. It's one of those rare instances where cricket departs the back pages and lands on the front pages. Always seems to happen when when it's bad news, when there's a scandal, uh, and this has really rocked the uh, the cricket world. Seems to be something of a watershed, perhaps, uh, in terms of. Um, terms of racism in cricket toby let me let me come to you first i mean have you been surprised at, at i suppose just the kind of the seismic impact the story has had across the media landscape yeah it's been huge and uh, we've been talking about this story maybe even a year ago i seem to remember we we mentioned that some stuff was happening and i, I think we all got the sense then that it wasn't going to end well because yorkshire were basically marking their own homework on this and for, for anyone that hasn't been following the the story basically that that yorkshire uh, cricket, County Cricket Club have been accused of institutional racism effectively by a former player, uh, Azim Rafiq, uh, and it's all come to a head in this past month for Yorkshire and the ECB, uh, culminating in a very emotional performance, or not performance, sorry, appearance by uh, uh, Azim Rafiq at Department for Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee in the UK, uh, really sort of laying out uh, the culture at Yorkshire, which is exactly the opposite of what I think the administrators at Yorkshire would do. I mean, who would be a cricket administrator in the month of November, whether you're in Australia, England or other places? It's been a tough time for the, for the administrators and they've come out not covered in glory. But yeah, I think the, the media coverage has been, as you say, back page to front page has been pretty shocking. And, and some of the allegations that have come out have been even more so. I've just written a list here, actually, of uh, sort of organisations or individuals affected by this. And I've just got Michael Vaughan, Matthew Hoggard, Tim Breslin, Martin Moxon, Headingley, 
Azim Rafiq and cricket, and it's just a quick sort of back of the fag packet sort of thing. You know, people that don't have forget been Gary Balance. David Gary Lloyd, Balance, yeah, Dave. of course, Gary Balance, yeah, and the Yorkshire yeah, coach. Alex Hales. You could go on, right? And there've been, and, and I think one of the key things here is that this is potentially a watershed, as you said in the intro, because there are already other allegations surfacing at, at counties like Essex, for example, with overseas players with complaints, and this could lead to hundreds of issues, legal or otherwise. And and really, the, the, the fallout is only just beginning, particularly for Yorkshire, who have been suspended from hosting international matches which is a big body blow for a, a county revealed to still owe uh, £15 million in debt to a trust. So there's some serious problems at Yorkshire. Uh, the ECB also have been shown to be fairly supine in this, allowing Yorkshire to, as I say, mark their own homework. Uh, and they're still giving themselves a £2 million bonus as well. So there's all sorts of trouble at the top. And as you say, we're going into an Ashes series. Not all is rosy in Australia either from an administration perspective, but this kind of makes the whole Ashes series lose focus a bit. And it's very, very sad that it's come to this. Yeah, indeed. And I think um, also worth noting that all the sponsors of Yorkshire that have cut ties, Nike, Tetley's, Yorkshire Tea, David Lloyd Clubs, different David Lloyd. <laughs> well, quickly, well, we all, we all, we're all media, media types on this. And and I just I saw an interesting tweet from Izzy Westbury, actually, to say that, you know, when these sponsors, so Yorkshire Tea, etc., uh, were jumping ship, would it not be better for sponsors to stick around and demand meaningful change and engagement rather than quietly returning in 18 months. What do you think? I thought it was yeah. an interesting take. Yeah, Darren, thoughts on he that? Might, like, like a bit like an activist investor, right? Kind of. I think, I think there's some kind of, there's something to be said about that. And I think we do see some brands doing that quite proactively, actually, uh, getting involved in the organization, looking to change it through external pressure. So interesting stuff. You know, what, the thing that stood out to me about this was, you know, for once you've got to say the politicians did a pretty good job, right? I think getting Rafiq in front of that DCMS committee really up-leveled this whole thing because it had been pushed around at Yorkshire and people are kind of avoiding it, but it really put it into the public focus and made it way bigger than cricket. So I think that, that kind of stood out for me as well. And I, I listened to his, 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 some of his testimony. It was quite harrowing. I don't know if anybody listened to, to, to how he talked about it, but he seemed very credible. It seemed very heartfelt. Um, you know, he kept talking about it's the it's the organization and institutions versus the, the individual people, which I think he's right, right? This is not, and even his by his own admission, his anti-Semitic tweets, you know, it's not, this is not, this is not about people. It's about organizations and structures. And I think this seems to have got to the rotten to the core and just not being exposed and actually acted on at a very high level. It's all been, always been sort of shushed to the side or isolated, but this is an institutional problem with cricket. Uh, particularly at Yorkshire. So it's really trying to focus on that. And I think he, he's wanting to stay on and be this kind of advocate and make sure things get done and things actually change versus just you have an incident and a big pop and then nothing happens after. So I think this is a watershed moment, as you said. I, I think I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, that what really stood out to me also, Darren, was Azim Rafiq's um, performance at the Select Committee I don't think that can have been, that's an easy thing to do. You know, you imagine the nerves going in. He's been waiting for this day for for years. For a long time, no one was listening to him. Let's not forget that. Uh, at every step of the way, his, his attempts to try and kind of complain about this has, have been swept under the carpet. I think George Dobell at Crick Info has done a really good job of covering it. There's been a, a, there was a journalist at Wisden as well who... It's one of the few to kind of write about it. it. It kind of all added up. His performance, though, was remarkable. He came across as both 
credible, but also really insightful and not spiteful or vindictive uh, in the slightest. He, he kept his, his composure and he kept his eye on the kind of bigger picture, which I think is a really difficult thing to do, um, especially when you consider everything, or, you know, everything he's been through. And compared to that, you saw uh, Roger Hutton, is it, the Yorkshire chairman? And um, then you saw, is it Tom Harrison, the ECB CEO? And they just looked very evasive um, and with a lot of corporate speak and a lot of jargon. Um, Azim Rafiq's bravery as well, I think, sh- should be mentioned. It's astonishing. You know, he, he would have known that his character will be assassinated, as it has been. Um, you know, he's Obviously, he's not perfect. He's made many mistakes. And I think Yorkshire's whole strategy to this crisis has been to try and discredit him. Exactly. And, and that's backfired. Um, but yes, just the bravery. Because I think especially for, for you know, anyone who's who's played cricket in England or played cricket in Yorkshire, this kind of thing is not unusual, this kind of racism. To actually speak up about it and to go through everything does require a huge amount of courage. And I think... Um, that has, that did surprise me because I think there's a lot of people who, and you know, I don't blame anyone who, who, who doesn't want to speak up about it because it is really difficult. The key is, will it change anything though, right? And I think that, that whilst everybody is happy to see ECB putting players in t-shirts that say we stand against racism, empty words until things structurally change. Yeah. And whether this is a, it's a bit glib to say a Me Too moment for cricket or similar, but um, football kind of went through a similar stage of this around 15, 20 years ago and saw huge improvements and this sadly going back, going backwards in many ways on that front. But Yeah, football, at least I think with football within the game, it's improved. I think the problems with football seem to be with the, with the crowds, right, with spectators. But within the game, if you talk to black players in particular, they'll say things have really improved. I think things will improve in cricket. I don't, I don't think there's any other... Avenue will they improve as quickly as we want them to? You know that's perhaps the question. Agreed. I mean, I think all these things are fixable, right, and doable and actionable. It's just a matter of somebody has the will and the drive to get it done. You know, there's a lot of discussion about football and how there's a lot of education done at schools with different players going to different socioeconomic groups and racial groups and trying to mix things together. I think that doesn't happen in cricket, and so there's obviously a there's obviously a blueprint there as well. So it, it can all be fixed. It's a matter of whether people want to get it fixed. And and the more people come forward, you know, I think the so Yorkshire now has a whistleblower hotline, 36 people have already come forward. You know, that's just going to keep up the pressure, right? And then Toby as you mentioned there's all the other counties um involved. There are counties that handle this much better than others, right? Um you know, I think Leicestershire is is often held up as as an example of a county that has is is, is far more committed, has done more work. Yorkshire, I think we'd all agree, is probably, you know, right at the back of the queue for, for for many reasons. I think they can change, and I think the new Yorkshire chairman, uh, Kamlesh Patel, has has made all the right noises and has said all the right things so far. So we'll see. I think now the media is aware, the government is aware. There's there'll be a lot of of scrutiny, which is which can only be a good thing, I suppose. But yeah, it's, it is sad as well. Just some of the, the stories that came out. I think we can't forget. I think the human dimension to this, and just yeah, all the all the all the things that Azim has had to go through, and then you know the many other players have, have come forward with their own stories. You know, we've seen. I think it's Andrew Gale now has been suspended. You know, Martin Moxon is is he's been absent with 
stressed, but I can't see him coming back. Mark Arthur, the Yorkshire chief executive, can't see him coming back. You know, we'll see what happens with Michael Vaughan, uh, who's, uh, his memory appears to be failing him. And one of the interesting things also is, is, is Joe Rue. And that, Azim Rafiq, I thought, spoke really eloquently about this, about, you know, how he considers Joe Rue a really good person, a good friend. Uh, the fact that Joe Rue has kind of come out with that, you know, not, not a great statement, I didn't think. Very, very sort of PR heavy, let's say. A little bland, wasn't it? And, and I guess... Bland, but also that, that he couldn't remember anything and, you know... He, even though he was Gary Balance's flatmate, you know. Yeah, he said, this is the problem. A good person like Joe Root, who is kind of someone you can rely on, is also willing to, to perhaps look the other way. And this is, I think, the problem with institutional issues like this. is It kind of sweeps everyone up, doesn't it? But yeah, quite kind of mind-blowing to think how it's exploded, this story. Well, we just see what happens next. I think as there's, as there's potentially more to come, sadly, and we, we wait and watch. And, and if, if this is an English cricket problem or it goes further than that internationally we'll also see but it's it's a sad sad day but I guess it hopefully a watershed yeah I do hope it, it goes beyond England I mean it, it was interesting Usman Khawaja gave a very interesting interview recently about his own experiences in Australian cricket and he, he seems somewhat unburdened and it, you know I thought that was a I think he was saying he you know he he actually wished he was he was white at certain points when he was younger during his his career, I mean, there's there's problems in Indian cricket as well. I think we shouldn't forget that, their attitude towards black players. and that. So I'm hopeful that, that this leads to change everywhere. More change also in Australia, Darren. Let's enter the house of pain. Tim Payne, not renowned for his sledging, also now not renowned for his texts. Yeah, he doesn't have a very good text game, does he? No. Yeah, I don't know where to start with this. So, you know, obviously, if people don't know, you know, 2017, um, he exchanged text with a colleague at Cricket Tasmania. This is before he had the contract with Cricket Australia, before he was a captain. And this came in about a year after that. There was an investigation going on. He was exonerated, basically, by Cricket Australia, saying that it was consensual. Although if you read the text, it's a little bit hard to say it doesn't seem consensual to me in many ways. Um, but again, we don't have the full facts. We don't have the whole result of the investigation. But anyway, he was exonerated three years ago, basically. And now it's come to light somehow. It's been leaked to the media. And then it, it was a, they threatened him. And then he sort of got ahead of the story and said that he was stepping down as captain, but still remaining available to play in the Ashes, which, of course, has caused a lot of contention in Australia. Um, there's a lot of rifts going on. There's... It's been very terse words between Cricket Tasmania and Cricket Australia. The Australian Cricket Association, the Players Association, has been very forthright in coming forward to protect Tim Payne. Whereas the current board seems to say that if it was if they were in charge three years ago, they would have fired him straight away. He wouldn't have become captain, basically. So there's a lot going on about this. Everyone seems to have an opinion about it. I think I really do feel sorry for his wife, Bonnie Payne. I mean, I think they thought it was dealt with, you know, three years ago. It's come to surface. She, she made a very good statement about um, supporting Tim, I thought it was was very brave of her to come out and say that. Uh, but yet it's going on. It's gone on and on. There seems to be new stories coming out every day. Somehow his brother-in-law was involved with the woman as well, and he he was fired from Cricket Tasmania. So I think there's a lot of layers to the story we probably haven't seen yet. But yeah, going into an Ashes series, not a great place to be for Australia. 
curious to hear both of your thoughts as as PR experts. Um, when you have a story like this, and it's um, you know it's, it's three or four years ago, it's investigated. Do you not assume that at some point it will come out and 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 behave accordingly? I mean, because the suggestion is that if it had been public then, Tim Payne wouldn't have lasted as captain. So why, I mean, why did he remain? Darren said there's a lot of layers to this. I was just reading some rather angry comments from Cricket Tasmania saying that Payne has been kind of used and abused by Cricket Australia and they're rallying behind their man, forgetting the fact that he's been sending unwanted sexual content to a senior member of their team, which seems to be slightly beyond the point. He's also mentioned himself that he knew the story was potentially going to come out at some point. He said apparently media organisations had approached him before major yeah. series to say that we have information about you, but in the end, they never wrote anything. I and mean, imagine feeling like that, you know, are they going to press publish or not? You know, and it didn't happen before an Ashes previously. My goodness, you know, the stress that must have on you as captain um, must, be, must be incredible. But this, to me, this goes back to the, the Cape Town of this incident and Payne was brought in to be the white knight to stabilise Australian cricket, get the sponsors back on side and, you know, put a bit of integrity back into the, the style of play, I guess. And you know, he's largely done that. But now we know that he was slightly flawed in that position and that Cricket Australia must have been so desperate for someone that they were willing to look the other way when they knew this was in his locker and thought, we'll still go with him anyway. Um, it's happened now. It's in the past. He's apologised. I think for him, we want to move on. But yeah, I can't see him getting back in the current team given A, what's happened and B, his, his playing form, right? Just one one thing I wanted to know is just he sent the texts on the morning of was it on the morning of his first test match as captain? Yes, no, not I as mean. not as captain in 2017. Oh, okay. Didn't win the oh, toss. Right. Didn't before, win the toss, did he? That was a twenty. Before. That was a twenty. That was a seventeen eighteen Ashes in Australia, right? Yeah. So he he wasn't made captain until the next year. So obviously he was getting fired up uh, <laughs> before his before his. Well, that was his first game back, I think, for the Australian team after several years. Working on that ball, making sure it's nice and polished for this. Opening. You know, as we said, another, another Australian skipper goes down for ball tampering. More, more texts and test centuries. I guess what bothers me in all this is, you know, what really bothers me is the outcome of the first investigation. You know, I don't know all the facts, but, you know, there's a statement from the, the, the third party, the woman involved, saying, Mr. Payne's sexually explicit, unwelcome and unsolicited photographs of his genitals, in addition to the graphic sexual comments right? She said they're unwelcome, unsolicited. So to me, I I don't know how it's consensual. Like, you know, you have a, there's a flirtation going on and then all of a sudden you start sending sexually explicit messages and they're they're very explicit. It's not like they're, 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 they're flirtation or hinty. They're very explicit. No, there's, there's, there's no innuendo involved. Yeah. I don't know how that is. I I just don't get the whole mutual part of that. I mean, it, it, it is hard to see that from the facts we know. I don't know if there's there's more to it. Exactly, you're exactly to that point. But maybe there's something else that went on that we don't know about in that investigation. And I don't know if the woman involved was part of the investigation or was interviewed. I'm not sure she participated in it. But again, from what we know, but I, I can't imagine, you know, for example, if you step back and look at it from a corporate point of view, if that happened at our company, the person would be fired. There's, there's no doubt about it. There, there would be no, you know, exoneration. There would you'd just be, you're out, buddy. That's it. Yeah. That 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 is what amazes me. Actually, is that they thought 
First of all, that they felt he should remain as captain. Um, I guess it just would have been. They probably thought, look, after Steve Smith, this is just too much. We have to. Yeah. We have to remove another uh, captain in in short order. Um, but really, if they'd bitten the bullet, then uh, I think, as as we always know, right? You know, you always have to act as if whatever you're dealing with is going to make the front pages at some point. And that is kind of the the strangest thing about it all. And, uh, I've seen some comments from an, an unnamed former Australian captain. I have my suspicions as to who it is. <laughs> basically saying it's, it's not not dissimilar from from when uh, the Australian Cricket Board hushed up the bookmaker John scandal in the 90s, if anyone remembers that one. And they managed to keep that one quiet for four years, as I recall. So it's sort of a similar situation. But yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing, of course, is Tim Payne's, as we mentioned, his text game. I mean, there's no innuendo at all, is there? It's just... Um, it, it escalates very fast, doesn't it? It's very quickly, yeah. It's a bit like his, his on-field sledging. It's just like there's, yeah, there's there's really no nuance at all. It's, um, yeah, it's all, 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 all or nothing. So I think more to come on this story, for sure. There's, there's a lot more elements to this as well. So yeah. let's see what happens. Let's see. Anyway, next captain of Australia, perhaps a blessing in disguise. I mean, I don't know if any of us have been massively impressed with Tim Payne as a test captain. Yes, he's been, he's sort of taken the temperature down in Australian cricket, which was required. Um, but he's also presided over an era in which Australia have been, I suppose, historically quite poor. And it seems to clear the way for Pat Cummins, who... I at least have always thought would make a good captain, although there are concerns over his workload as a fast bowler. Darren, your thoughts on Australia's next captain, uh, Pat Cummins, Steve Smith? Yeah, I think it'd be strange if they went away from Pat, Pat Cummins. I, I do think that as a bowler, you probably need a, a strong on-field support. So maybe that's Steve Smith as vice-captain, I'm not sure. Um, but but I think it's it'd, it'd be strange to me if they went in a different direction. If they went with Steve Smith or Marnus Lavashain, I think that would be a strange direction given that they've almost telegraphed that they're going to go with, with Cummins making him vice captain and talking about him for years. So it'd be surprised to me if he's not made captain. And I think it'd be a good captain. He speaks well, he's well liked. He seems to be squeaky clean, but I'm sure they're doing some investigation right now to make sure that he's not done any text messages or weird tweets or whatever over the years. You know, he, he's well-educated. He, he, he's, he's a, he's a very engaging personality, right? I think people, he, you know, he's well liked, as I said, and it gives gives us a chance to go in a fresh direction. I think if we go back to Smith again, it feels like we're going back to the past a little bit. All these question marks will come up again about Cape Town, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like they need to go in a new direction and it's probably going to be Cummins. You know, people have talked about Lavashane, but he doesn't really have much uh, captaincy experience or leadership experience around the group at the moment. I wouldn't have thought. The big knock on Cummins seems to be that he's a fast bowler. You know, it's, it's still rare to see a fast bowler captain. There's always this this view that it's hard for a captain to uh, to be a bowler because then they have to figure out how much to bowl themselves. And I'm not sure I've, I've necessarily subscribed to that, but who can tell me the last fast bowler to captain Australia? Ray Linwall for one test. Yes, one test in 1956. Who, who else has been captain? So, you know, Imran Khan, obviously, Bob Willis. Imran. Uh, Anil Kumble, but he was a spin bowler. I think Stuart Broad captained England once as a... As a I would, we'd love to find out, and I'll, maybe I'll look Flint's it up, off. Who, who, is, who is the most successful bowler captain at test level. I'd love to find out. I will do my homework. I, I, would think it's, uh, I would think it's Imran Khan, right? Yeah, probably. You'd kind of assume, well, Richie Benno, I mean, Richie Benno, yeah. did, 
did very well. In terms of fast bowlers, though, you've really kind of got Imran Khan, Kapil Dev. Did Richard Hadley ever captain the Kiwis? Flintoff. I don't think so. He might have captained sure once did. or twice, but he wasn't yeah, an ongoing once or captain. Twice. But they were, I suppose they were all-rounders. I don't know if that makes it any different. Courtney Welsh captained West Indies for a, yeah, that's true. Quite a while. pretty significant period of time. I mean, I think it is a challenge, but I think it depends who you have around the group. Like if you make it more of a senior leadership group, like if you're bowling, you want someone to tell you like, you know, you should come off now, or you should bowl now. Because obviously as a bowling captain, sometimes you think to yourself, am I bowl myself? Is it selfish? Should I not bowl? And then people criticize you saying, why did you bowl yourself then, right? So I think it depends on how they structure that leadership uh, team on the field. What about Cummins as well? There's an issue around his workload, you said, Arun, at the, at the top of the segment. And I guess, is he going to play every single match? And if he doesn't, then the vice-captaincy becomes even more important because that person could be quite vocal and visible. In, in the bubble era, it's difficult. Yeah. Right? And I think they've got to rotate. You know, they, they kind of learned that the hard way against India last summer where they didn't rotate any of the bowlers. And they became a bit samey, like the, the bowlers are bowling the same thing, the same length, same thing every time. So I think they do need to rotate. So that's a, that's a question, which means you do need to have a strong. So vice who captain. do you think would be vice captain? Will they go with Steve Smith or, or bring in the you know Labuschagne, the next sort of captaincy candidate? If you're looking to the future, they definitely bring in someone like a Labuschagne, right? But if they want that stability or, or or experience, and I think Steve Smith doesn't have a lot to offer as far as the game goes. You know, there could be an interim step where he's vice yeah, captain. Yeah, Labuschagne will also make sure that you know everyone's well fed on the pitch. Yeah. The right. thing with with uh, just the captain, I saw Shane Warne tweeting yesterday saying he's hearing that Smith has been considered as a vice captain. Thoughts? Question mark. So one of the one of the replies was, "Why not Travis Head for captain?" And another wag said, "Yeah, he can be a non-playing captain." I think mm-hmm. the the problem there is is that Labuschagne and Smith, you know, are the the only candidates that are assured of their place at the moment. Yeah. Um, so it's that, tough. David, that is the thing. And yeah. David Warner's banned, right? So is he? He's banned from being captain. Being Can, captain, yeah. I didn't know yes, that. He's banned from having any any leadership position. And I actually think that is. I mean, you can discuss the merits of that decision, but David Warner is is a good. You know, he would make a good captain. I think actually. I think so too. All said and done. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly, I'm not sure about Test captain, but definitely a white ball captain. Anyway. So I think that's how, how they'll go. They, you know, they have to choose out of basically Labuschagne, Smith, and and Cummins. There's no other choices really. They won't they won't go with Hazelwood or Stark. Uh, as I think it's captain. great actually to make Cummins captain. I'm really interested to see how he will do. His captaincy experience is very limited, though, right? He's captained I think four matches in his life, but he's everyone likes him as you've mentioned, as we always mention. Uh, he's he's intelligent. Um, he's, he seems to have a good cricketing brain, as they say. He's a world-class player as well, and you want your captains to be he's a thoroughbred. the best players yeah. possible. He's a superb bowler. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how a fast bowler does as captain, just from a kind of a, a sort of observational perspective, I think. I think it's worth a shot. And also just for the image of the game. I mean, it's, it's the next generation. It's somebody different. It's really somebody in a new direction, which I think they need to do right now. So let's, I think they should give it a shot. You know, and I think the problem with Travis Head is, you know, they've given Travis Head a quite a prolonged stint, but he just hasn't really nailed down that that top, that middle order spot. Yeah. I mean, is someone like, a, is it Cameron Green? I guess he's too, yeah. he's too Green. new, right? For, for, <laughs> but he must be, he must be, they must be kind of looking at him in terms of future leadership. Yeah, but he's got a previous place. I mean, he's a very good Sheffield Shield player. He's done nothing at test level so far, really, if we're, if we're honest. 
So, Tim Payne, will he be donning the gloves in the first Ashes test? I figure he's going to get injured or they're going to talk about four more injury. I think he played in that Tasmania second 11 game. He took six catches and he scored one run. He looked pretty good with the gloves, though. Classic um, Payne. But who knows? I mean, I, I think there's more to offer from Carey or Inglis, if we're honest. I mean, it's definitely to offer more in the batting. If you're England, you'd prefer to have Tim Payne coming at number seven than Alex Carey, uh, wouldn't you? I think so. Well, I- no shout for Matthew Wade, the hero, the hero of, of Australia's. We'll, we'll get to this in a second, but... Oh my gosh, we'll get to the World Cup, yeah. The hero of Australia's T20 World Cup. I don't know. He just hasn't had a prolonged stint with the gloves on in five-day cricket. I don't know if that's really him. I mean, we, they could do it for a series, maybe. And he's in good form, right? He's confident, so that, that's a good thing. I would bring him in just for the ashes, honestly, because I think him, him, him marching out at number seven, seven. yeah, that would be... That would be something. Um, when is the first Ashes test, by the way? It must be soon. Two weeks. <clears throat> okay. I think. Right. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty well balanced. I mean, neither team looks in I think so. Amazing, I, mean, I, think, I think Ben Stokes coming back looks, looks good yeah. for England. Looks good. Um, I don't know if we want to do a full-blown Ashes preview right now. We, we have to discuss, I think, uh, the T20 World Cup, which was... It's kind of an immersive cricket experience where it sort of after, you know, from the IPL to the World Cup. I know, Darren, you and I were watching huge amounts of cricket every day. Yeah. It was, it was like a dream, all of it. It was a dream. And and for you, Darren, a dream with a very happy ending, let's say. Yeah. With the- I mean, it, I kind of like the format because almost every game seemed to be important. And in the room, we talked about this last time. We, we enjoyed watching the associates, actually like Oman and PNG, because we don't normally watch them in the qualifying. So that was actually quite interesting, I thought. But yeah, I think this, the, the format is quite good. And, you know, the Super 12 stage, and then there's the sort of semifinals. There's no second chance. Um, you're knocked out, and then there's a final. It goes quite quickly towards the end. So every game more or less seems to matter. Whereas in the World Cup, the ODI World Cup seems to drag on quite a lot. You know, some well, of the games might not mean so much. that's kind of built for India to get to the, uh, to, the, to the knockout stages. That's But the toss was... was very influential, I think. That was the, that was the thing, right? And you could see it. You know, Australia won six or seven tosses. Obviously, I'm not six out of I'm seven taking anything away. Yeah, they won six. I out am, of seven. but it's incredible. They've won six yeah. out of seven tosses. Uh, and then I think Finch's <laughs> won. Finch's won eighteen out of the last twenty tosses. Can you believe that? That is something unbelievable, right? Maybe he's bringing his own coin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, and you know, meanwhile, you saw teams. I mean, Pakistan was the classic one, right? who uh, I thought they played, they looked in such good nick and then they lost the toss in the semi-final and all of a sudden they were exposed. You know, England and Pakistan, I thought really were in the group stages, the two best teams. England, I think, got were a bit uh, undermined by injuries, Toby. Seemed to hurt their campaign. Yeah, I think um, Timmel Mills was a, a really uh, great to have him back in some form as well. He, he's a specialist white ball cricketer, even more specialist T20 bowler. Um, and he pulled up um, before the semi-final, um, Joss Butler was in good form with the bat. Um, Owen Morgan is one of those sort of luxury players that doesn't need to score any runs, but is a master strategist on the field. And he yeah, was a, very good captaincy. So Andrea Pirlo of cricket um, <laughs> doesn't run much, but is a is a master strategist. Yeah, look, England England look good. Pakistan looks superb, scintillating. Um, but Australia were there at the end, and, and you know, New Zealand as well. It, it was too tough to call in, in the final, and the, you know the Black Caps are obviously. 
uh, against so England. <clears throat> yeah, they, they, I was, I was glad, glad to see they won, actually. Yeah, but what do you make of New Zealand's continued inability to beat Australia when it counts? I'll recuse myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think once Australia found they were playing New Zealand in the final, they were quite happy, right? I mean, I think they do feel they have it over New Zealand in all formats, whether it's you know mostly test matches, white ball cricket. I think it would be interesting if England had gone through against Australia in the final after they thrashed them thoroughly in the in the in the preliminary game, right? Um, right? But I think this Australian team surprised everybody, and they sort of went below the radar a bit. And they they seem to be playing with a lot of freedom. They didn't. You've seen the last few years. It's almost like David Warner's worried about getting out. So is Finch. They they don't have this confidence, and I think they just kind of just went for it in this World Cup. I think Adam Zampa was scintillating. I think the fast uh, bowlers all stood up, and ha- and Hazelwood, who people think is not a T Twenty bowler. I mean, credit for Tony, right? Oh, he's uh, he's been very good in the IPL, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was this CSK approach, right? You had the, you know, the youngest player was 28, was Pat Cummins. Everybody was very experienced. You had people down the order. I think Mitchell Marsh has been a revelation over the last six months at number three. They persisted with him. Your favorite, Darren. But he was great. Mitchell Marsh. Yeah. He's in a different level now. I think he's playing at a different level than he's played it for a while. He's in sort of peak form of his career. And I think having that almost three opening bats going for it up the top is a different approach for Australia. They've always had this kind of Finch and Water and then Smith or somebody that knocks it around, but they've started to continue to go through that top three, which I think served them really well. And then, of course, having Stoinis, who's turned out to be a good finisher, and as well as Wade down the end, turned out to be a masterstroke. And they've, they've all opened batting for their, their, their BBL clubs or international uh, franchise cricket. So they're used to sort of starting off very quickly. And, you know, Matthew Wade against Shaheen Shah Afridi, that last over in the semifinal was just something else. It was ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it was, almost, I mean, it was almost very out of sad. nowhere. The uh, Hassan Ali, of course, dropping him, um, I think, in the previous over, which was which was a tough one And Hassan Ali. I really felt for him. Yeah, I really thought, geez, that's... Didn't have a great tournament, Hassan Ali, and it's, it's pretty tough for him. But, you know, I, I felt Pakistan hadn't scored enough runs in that semifinal. Um, Babar Azam, I think, scored 39 of 34. Had a wonderful tournament, but didn't quite accelerate when he needed to, which is tough when you're batting first. Um, but that finish, yeah, Wade and Stoinis at the end. I mean, some of the shots Wade was playing, I've never seen it. You know, he really, I, th- I think, moved to another level. I think that was the thing, right? You saw all these players in Australia who have promised so much but haven't necessarily delivered, and they finally did deliver. Yeah, on the international stage, you're right. Yeah, you're right. On the international stage is actually Mitchell Marsh, uh, Stoinis, and Matthew Wade. The three in particular. I think Adam Zampa, we've known for a while, is very good. He was just consistently brilliant in this tournament. Warner came back into form. And you're right, it's the CSK approach. It's also a kind of a a bit of a throwback. They weren't they didn't seem that focused on the data and on the matchups and on the analytics and all that kind of stuff. And it worked for them. I mean, and yes, they had their share of luck. I thought they were lucky to get through, actually, given that South Africa also had the same number of points, right? I thought South Africa were a little bit unlucky. But it's another it's another, another world title for Australia. So well done to them. Any other players that stood out for you? Uh, I wanted to give a shout to the Sri Lankan team. Yeah, I was going to say, Asalanka was scintillating with the bat. I watched a few of his innings. He was He looks really good. And of course, Hasaranga, the, the spinner, the all-rounder, he looks great. It's really good young players coming through. I think Anrik Nortier as well has gone to a different level. South Africa, I thought, had some good young players. We know uh, Rassi van der Dusen and Aidan Markram, of course. Um, Anrik but also, Nortier. You mean, obviously, Babar Azam and Rizwan were, were sensational. Um, 
Aidan Markram, I thought was really good. And in Moen Alley as well, he, he was, he hit a great tournament, I thought. Yeah. I, I like the look of Sri Lanka. I, they're playing a test series now against um, West Indies, but a lot of these young players are not in the team. So Hasaranga is not, Asalanka is not. So maybe it'll take a bit of time for them to, to get into the test. Maybe team. they're giving them the rest. I mean, they did, they did have to play the qualifying as well for the World Cup, right? So it's a long sure, trip away. Yeah. Oh, the cricket doesn't stop. I mean, in, in the week since the the World Cup final, New Zealand have contrived to lose three t- T20s to India. That's, that's so going to be a tough tour for them after losing the final and going straight to India two days later. I mean, that's you wouldn't want to be on that tour. Yeah, it's just completely pointless, pointless tour. And now they're playing, I think, three test matches. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very strange. Yeah, I think India re- arresting a bunch of players, aren't they, as well? Well, it's all changed in India, of course. Uh, Ravi Shastri has stood down as as coach. Um, we we talked about this last time. It's it's a sad moment, um, but you know, everything must change. So Rahul Dravid has come in. He's a pretty good uh, pretty good replacement. Not convinced he necessarily wanted the job, but uh, he will. I think I think he'll he'll do fine. He's you know he, we won't get the same fireworks. In the press conferences. No, we won't. Unfortunately, uh, he'll be a lot more considered. We've had some gems from Shastri. Uh, the the uh, My fingers are pointing in five different directions is one of the things he said because his, his, his next direction is unclear. He's been approached apparently to coach the new uh, Ahmedabad IPL franchise. You think he'll do it? Uh, which He might do it. I don't. I think he might. Yeah, I think he wants to do it, but I also think he wants to commentate. Yeah, as well. So if he can do both, that would interview be the other day with Ricky Ponting, where he said, you know, he was kind of approached or there was some discussion about him being India coach or even Australia coach, and he just said, look, it's a full time job. He said you'd have to be it's three it's three sixty five days a year, whereas franchise cricket is you know a couple of months, three months, you can focus on it and do your other stuff. Um, I think probably Shastri's in the same boat. I think it's a, it's got to be a harrowing job being full-time coach for on the road so often and it's sort of a 365, 24-7 job, isn't it? Yeah, and look, we joke a lot about Ravi Shastri, but if you look at his record as India coach, it's excellent. Um, he led India to two uh, away series victories in Australia uh, where they'd never won before. They competed overseas really well for the first time. He brought in players like uh, Jasper Bumrah, Rishabh Pant, um, you know, a, a new generation. Obviously, it's not all down to him, but he did something right. You have to say he really did, I think, take the pressure away off the players by fronting up to the media so well. I think that 60% win rate or whatever it was, almost 61, yeah. is pretty good. I, I think he played more tests on the road than most of other coaches have. I mean, they basically won a series in, two series in Australia, one in, one in, Indi- one in England almost, right? You know, they've won ODI series, T20 series all around the they've world. Won so t- they won all their bilateral limited over series. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is they, they couldn't do it. Once again, they couldn't do it in an ICC tournament, which now stretches back to, what is it, 2013, I think, when they won the Champions Trophy. That's not, that doesn't really count, though, does it? <laughs> it's, not a world, it's not a World Cup. <laughs> I never got that Champions Trophy thing. I think it's stupid. It's better than the World Cup. It's a better format. Yeah, it's shorter, isn't it? You're right. 
It's much better. Um, but yeah, so 10 years if, if you're not counting the Champions Trophy. So that's a problem. I mean, that's, but you know, overall he's he's done really well, I think, as uh, as Indian coach kept it simple. Players responded. So it's a, it's a, it's a change now. Virat Kohli stepping down as T20 captain, Rohit Sharma coming in. So things are going to change. And yeah, it's, a, it's an exit for, for Ravi Shastri. Obviously he won't exit the game. We hope we'll still get you know, the gems from him. I think this podcast would be much poorer without them, um, I would say. And an, another ultra exit uh, we need to to discuss is the retirement. I, I assume this is the final retirement because I think he has retired a few times before of A.B. de Villiers. You know, he's one of those players for whom we always say that the stats don't always tell the full story. Um, his stats are amazing, by the way. He averages over 50 in test cricket and one-day cricket. And his strike rate in T20 cricket is 135. But I think you'd agree, Darren, that with A.B. de Villiers, it's never really just been about the stats, right? I think it's not. And I think if you if you sort of go back and think about his memorable innings, and from Australian point of view, I can think of a couple. You know, it's that background he had in, ho- in hockey and tennis, and I think he played rugby union at a high level. He, he does have a little bit of an unusual setup. And there's a great article by Robin Utapa, on Cricket Info about A.B. de Villiers. And he said his wife was watching TV and said, oh, A.B. de Villiers must have been a tennis player when he was younger. And he said, why? He said, look the way he sets up. He, he looks like he's going to hit a forehand and he gets down quite low and stable. And so he's always, when the ball is delivered, he's always very stable, if you know that, no matter where he hits it. And I think he was transformational for the game. I mean, you think about Dil Shan with the Dil Scoop, that was transformational as well. Nobody did that really before this. A.B. de Villiers will always be known as Mr. 360 because he really could put the ball anywhere using his wrists or using a weird angle. Uh, if you bowled to him, if he was on song, it was very difficult to bowl to. And I think I used to feel sorry for the bowlers because, you know, you can't change your hand grip when you're a bowler, right? You can only bowl one way. Uh, and he would just switch around and switch up and smash the ball. But more than that, you know, Glenn Maxwell looks good sometimes, but A.B. de Villiers was always quite consistent. And his average shows that, you know, averaging over 50 in tests, you know, 130 plus strike rate. Uh, I think he, he's definitely a great player. And I remember some of the innings that I remember in 2018 in that fateful Australia tour of South Africa. He scored 126 on a very dodgy pitch in Port Elizabeth. Uh, and I think nobody else really scored much at all. And he he was he just was a, like on a different level playing the Australian bowlers. He just looked like he was in a totally different match and different class. I remember watching that and thinking, geez, guy's good. And then I do remember him saving a test match in Adelaide in 2012 where I think he batted all day for 33 on a tricky pitch. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could do it all, really. He, so, it. again, he could, I think, 466 minutes, uh, uh, 110 for the series. So, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it showed that he could do everything. And he had, when he put his mind to it, he was probably the best player in the world, really. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And I think that, you know, that was a masterclass of defensive batting. I think with A.B. de Villiers, it's easy to get distracted by all the pyrotechnics, which were amazing, by the way. But he was one of the great batsmen, I think, in 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 cricket in cricketing history, and he was consistently brilliant. That's what I really liked about him. He he was, you know, I think the first batsman I'd ever seen to consistently premeditate shots and to do it in such a way that he was successful more often than not. Yeah, you just see the fanboying of Virat Kohli every time you you see ABD batting together with Kohli together. He's just like staring in his eyes with this glazed look. Like he's looking at his hero. This, you know, this interview recently where he talks about him stepping down from RCB and they're doing this interview and he's just like, ah, oh, you know, like Coley's is like fanboying big time ABD, right? 
Yeah, I think uh, AB is he. Is there a little champing going on there? Do you think there's definitely champing going on there? A little, yeah, a little, little reverse AB, champing, AB, maybe champing. Mm, maybe. All right. Well, that seems to be everything. A, a, a busy show, as you can imagine, with so much going on in the cricketing world. But we'll be back soon, and I think we'll probably need to talk about the Ashes in more detail on the next episode of Cricket Ultras. Thank you all for listening.